0: today. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you here that you would hover upon us and that you would breathe new life where there's dead places in our hearts. And God, that we would have open ears to hear what you want to say, open hearts to, to receive what you want us to do. And so God, today we just ask that you would be honored, that you would be glorified, and that you would, um, that you would teach us. And challenge us and take us deeper in you. That we would fall more in love with our Savior. So Lord, we thank you and we praise you in your precious name. Amen. So for me, when I, about nine years ago was my first introduction to fasting, really. You know, I had grown up in the church. I had um, gone to Christian school. I went to Bible college for a couple years. But I really didn't learn much about fasting. Yeah, and so when I, I was 21 and I had been gone for about six months, I was in New Zealand for a couple months, and then I was tree planting for a couple months, and I got home, and I have this significant memory in my mind where I was driving with my mom from Moose Jaw to Karenport. It's only like a 15-20 minute drive and we were driving home and we started chatting somehow about the situation of different marriages that we knew and as we started talking and continued to talk my heart was broken because the reality is is that there was a bunch of marriages who were Christians who the marriages were all falling apart it was after two years one couple called it quits Another one after 25 years, and this guy was a pastor and was unfaithful to his wife, and she was actually really close to me. And so they were going through a divorce, and then there was another couple after 10 plus years that they were getting a divorce, and and there was really horrible fallout from that and, and decisions being made. And I just remember absolutely distraught, hopeless. I felt depressed, like I literally physically felt sick to my stomach. As I sat there and we were talking, and I, was, I, I remember getting home and being like, God, what do I even do with this? We, like, the, these are Christians. Like, is there no hope for marriage? Is there nothing to, good to look forward to? Do, do you not do anything for us? And I just remember thinking, what do I even do about this? I, I was so grieved in my spirit. And I felt like the Lord said, Amy, I want you to fast and pray for marriages tomorrow. I said, I don't even know what fasting is. And he says, well, start reading the Bible and discover what fasting is. And so the next day, I got out my Bible and I was praying for all the marriages that I knew. And I, I as I was praying and as I was reading, I felt like the Lord asked me again. He said, Amy, this year I want you to fast every Friday for marriages. I said, mm, God, could it be a Monday? <laughs> and he, he, it, literally, it was like, do you not love me more than Fridays, than your Fridays? And I was like, okay, when you put it like that, I guess we'll fast every Friday for marriages, you know? And so that next year, actually, that's when I first moved here. That I was during that first year or that one year of fasting every Friday for marriages, and I had no idea what fasting was supposed to look like. It was hard. It was not easy all the time. Some days it was a struggle. Some days I couldn't focus in my prayers, and some days it felt like a waste. But there was other days when I knew God was doing something profound, and I had friends and cousins come to me throughout that year and say, Amy, because of your prayers, our marriage is still together. You know, it was hard for me because I was waitressing every Friday, serving food, and yet I wasn't eating food. It was hard for me because one of the hardest things about being in ministry was being single for the longest time. I was single till I was 28, and that was such a struggle, and yet God asked me to pray for marriages. You know, sometimes I was mad. I was like, God, why would you ask this of me? This isn't easy, but you know what? Sometimes it's not about us. And through that experience, God took me deeper and deeper and deeper. And I believe that God did some really profound things through that year in my life and in my friends' lives, in my family's lives, through that year of prayer and fasting. It wasn't because of me, but I felt so strongly that I had to be obedient to what God had asked me to do. You know, Maybe some of you are in that same situation. Not that you've had this massive call to fast and pray, but maybe you just don't know what it is. Maybe you've never researched it. I never had. I had never really looked into it. Literally, like, after my two years of college, it was like, so what you're telling me is that all fasting is is just praying during the time you would normally eat. That didn't make sense to me. I was like, there's got to be more than just that. There's got to be more to fasting. And maybe that's where you're at. It's like, what am I supposed to do? Like, what does this look like? How am I supposed to fast? Or maybe you've been intimidated by it. Maybe you're unsure about the practicality of it. Like, is it really going to work? Like, I feel like in North America, we haven't been taught much about fasting. Or maybe it's more my generation and younger that we don't know what it looks like. And we don't know the necessity of it for our spiritual lives. You know, the more I've researched it, And the more I've experienced it, the more I recognize how necessary and powerful it is for a Christian's life. So today I want to look briefly at what fasting is. Why would we fast and how should we fast and pray? What does that all look like? And so really briefly to start with, though I want to look at what Jesus said about fasting. And so when We read in Matthew 6, so the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus' greatest teachings, right? When we read through Matthew 6, it's funny because we kind of think that fasting, when we read that part, it says, when you fast, like, you know, don't look somber and downtrodden so that people take notice, blah, 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 and all of this stuff. And he says, rather, wash your face, look up, upbeat. Don't let people know that you're fasting. And so usually when we read that, we're like, huh, okay, so it's about the Pharisees and not being like them. And somehow we think it's an optional thing. And yes, fasting is voluntary. It's not a command that you have to do this. But I don't know if it's necessarily optional in a sense, because when I read that, and I read the beginning of Matthew 6, Jesus talks about giving, and he says, when you give, do this. When you give, do this. And then he talks about prayer, and he teaches us the Lord's prayer, and he says, when you pray, and he says that three times. When you pray, do this. When you pray, do this. And then he comes to fasting. When you fast, do this. When you fast, do this. Why do we not think the first two things are optional, but the third is optional? You know, we would never think that giving or prayer is optional, but then why is fasting? Maybe Jesus actually says it's good for us. Maybe he thinks it's a necessary thing for us as his followers to, to participate in. You know, later on in the Gospels, Jesus actually says, you know, because the John, John the Baptist, his disciples come to him and say, hey, why don't you fast? Or why don't your disciples fast? And what does Jesus say? He says, you know what? the bridegroom's here. When the bridegroom's here, we're going to party, we're, we're going to eat, and we're going to drink. It's going to be good. When I leave, then my followers will fast. That would be us, because Jesus has ascended into heaven, and that would be this time now, that maybe it's actually a necessary thing. It's actually a really good thing. Maybe it's not optional, because it's when, not if, you fast. That doesn't seem optional, so just really briefly, that's what Jesus says about fasting. So what is fasting then? And and Donald Whitney says that it's a Christian's voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. See, if fasting has to be partnered with prayer for spiritual pur- purposes. If you're just fasting with no spiritual purpose, with no reason, um, it's going to be miserable. And... It's a fat loss program that won't actually work. So, and you'll just come back up to where you were before. It's going to be horrible if you try to fast without a spiritual purpose, without praying for a specific reason. You know, that's what fasting is. And There's something about fasting that just brings this intensity and this focus and a purpose to your prayers that you don't have when you're not fasting. It's something different. There's something that goes on behind the scenes. And there's it's something about it that God changes us. That it builds an intimacy with the Lord that sometimes we can't experience apart from fasting. But so many times we love our food too much. We like our full bellies rather than a full spirit. You know, that's that's basically what fasting is. It's abstaining from things. It's stripping away all of the other stuff to just sit before the Lord and to remind ourselves, I'm finite. God is infinite. To, to remind myself when I'm hungry, to humble myself and to say, Lord, I'm so weak. I need you you are my sustenance. I need you more than food to remind us what Jesus said right when he was fasting. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the Father. When we fast, it's stripping that stuff away, and it's focusing us on the Lord. It's not to manipulate God. You can't manipulate God. He knows your heart. He knows your thoughts. So if you're trying to fast just to get something, it doesn't work like that. It's not a spiritual, magical, special thing. It's... it's literally wanting to draw closer to God to open your hearts and your ears to hear from God and what he wants to maybe say to you maybe what he has for you that's what fasting basically is that's a really quick overview but i want to jump into why why do we fast then what are the reasons as to why we might actually abstain from food i love food Talk to my husband. I ate way too many gummy bears last night. And, like, I shouldn't. I know. It's sugar. It's bad. Um, anyways, I, I love food. Why would any of us want to give up food? And so that's what we're going to look at really briefly. Because, really, I don't think any of us want to. But do we want God more? Do we want to go deeper in Him? And I, I've really been praying that today... God would do something in us that it would wet our appetites to desire more of him rather than just food. You know and so so really briefly if you want to flip over to Nehemiah 1 that's we're going where we're going to spend the rest of our time together Nehemiah 1 and we're going to look at why believers fast and really quickly some of the background you know if you know the old testament Judah Jerusalem went into exile in 587 BC, they were totally decimated by the Babylonians, and then about 70 years later, 50 to like another 70 years after that, there was different stages of people coming back to Jerusalem, because the Persians came into power, and the Darius the Mede was like, you know what, let's start the religions again in all of these places that we've conquered. So they sent like Zerubbabel, and Joshua, Haggai, um, there's Ezra, all of these different like different times that they would send people back to Ju- Judah that, to rebuild the temple, to start temple worship, and then we come to Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, he specifically, if you read through the book, it, it was for the wall that he went back to um, to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah, he, uh, if we start in verse one, we'll kind of read the situation. It says, "The words of Nehemiah, son of Hekaliah, In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Here in Nehemiah, there's some people that come back from Judah and he's curious about the situation, about the state and the condition of the nation. And he says, hey, so how, how are the people doing? How's Judah doing? How are the, how is the remnants? He's excited. He wants to hear how they're doing. But the report wasn't a good one because it says they're in great trouble and disgrace. Now, this is really profound because it, they say that the wall has been broken down. So number one, that, that poses trouble. And... It, Actually, it's very dangerous. So if an enemy came upon Jerusalem, they could just be decimated again, basically, because there's no wall to protect them. We don't know what that's like these days to have a wall around a city that needs protection against outsiders. But back then, that's a big deal. But even more than that, even more significant than the trouble or the danger that they were facing was the disgrace. See, Jerusalem was the city that God had appointed to have his name dwell. And when the city was in ruins and the walls were broken down, not only was it a disgrace to the people living there, but it was a disgrace to God himself. Nehemiah, it's interesting because this actually, we'll see that this leads him into prayer and fasting. This leads him there. And why? Because he was willing to ask. He was concerned about the the state of the nation. He was concerned about it. And I think we could actually take a lesson maybe from Nehemiah because sometimes we think, oh, I need a massive call or a big um, trouble or something in my life that requires fasting. And uh, that's when I'll fast. And we're just so focused on ourselves. It's like, you know what? My life is pretty good. I'm not in financial trouble. My marriage is doing pretty good. My kids are doing pretty good. I don't think I need to fast. Well, great for you, but have you considered to ask how this condition of our nation is? How, how's Canada doing? You know, we just legalized marijuana. You know, in Alberta, the government, the NDP government, is totally saying to Christian schools, either you side with us or you're shut down. What about churches across the nation? They're in decline. Kids are leaving the church. Young adults are going out like droves. You know, like, maybe we need to be concerned not just about our own lives, but actually the nation, the condition of our nation. Maybe we need to ask what's going on, and maybe that would get us on our faces in fasting. Because what would happen if his people who are called by his name, would humble themselves and start to fast. If you know that passage from, from Samuel 7, you know that God says, I will hear from heaven. You know, maybe you personally don't have a reason to fast. But man, when I look around this nation, I think we all have a reason to fast. To humble ourselves before God and say, God, we need you. There's nothing we can do. Nehemiah was so concerned about the condition of his nation that listened to his response. He says, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. That's what he did. He, he just heard it and he crumpled and he started to weep because he was so distraught about the state of his nation, the people of God, that he just started to weep and weep and weep. You know, emotional responses, those are things that we can't control Like, they happen—it's a stimulus, right? Or it's caused by a stimulus, and we just react emotionally. Now, after we have the emotion, we have a decision. What am I going to do with that emotion? Am I going to just sit here, or am I going to do something about it? And sometimes we think, well, what can I do about a hopeless situation? There's nothing I can do about a hopeless situation. For non-believers, there's nothing they can do, because they have no God and they have no hope. But for those of us who know Jesus Christ— We have hope because we serve Almighty God. So in those hopeless situations, when we're caught in grief and distress and we just crumble into a weeping mess, we can actually do something. We have a decision to make. Now, I'm not saying that, like, you know, when we lose somebody, grief comes in waves. And it will for life, you know? But what I'm saying is that what are we going to do with that grief? Are we just going to sit there... Or are we going to bring it to the one who can do something about a situation? Are we going to are we going to actually come to God? And that's what we see that Nehemiah does because we read that next part of that verse and it says, "For some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven." You know he could have just left it there and just wept and said, "It's hopeless. It's a it's a mess. There's nothing I can do." But he takes it one step further and he says, "No, I can't do anything, but God, you can't." And he fasts before the Lord, he humbles himself before God. You know, there's multiple different reasons why we could fast. You know, I, I mentioned one here from Nehemiah, but I just want to I want to step back and say, yes, we all have a I, I actually believe that all of us probably have a situation that we could be in fasting for right now. Um, what just considering the nation, but then there's multiple others, and some one of them is like strengthen your prayer life. I, I struggle with prayer. I struggle to stay focused. You know, fasting can bring that strength to prayer, that focus, that intentionality that doesn't happen all the time. Maybe you just need to strengthen your prayer life. Come out to fasting. You know, fast. Ask God to strengthen that. You know, maybe you need to seek God's guidance, and I'm sorry about the typo, um I don't know text anyways Um, you know seeking God's guidance though right like when we look in scripture and we see that um the the apostles were praying and worshiping and fasting and that's when God said set apart for me Paul and Barnabas to be missionaries if you need direction, if you don't know what to do with your life, if you're lost and confused and whatever, maybe about a job, maybe about finances, maybe about a relationship, maybe about um, a college or a career. Like I have talked to a lot of young adults recently who just feel like they're floating. Come to fasting. Fast, get on your faces and ask God for direction. You know, a couple years ago, I came to fasting and I said, God, I need an answer. I need you to show me where to go. And on that third day when I went home and I had something to eat, all of a sudden it was like, boom, there was the answer. God showed up. If you need direction, try fasting. Once again, I'm not saying that the, you're going to get the answer that you want. You're not, and it might not be through that. And You cannot manipulate God, but here's the thing. God will change you as you fast. God will work in you, and you'll become more intimate with the Lord through fasting. It's a beautiful thing. And I can't explain it. I don't know why or how or anything like that. But I do know that God works. And God draws us close to himself. You know, if, if you need deliverance or protection, I love that um, Ezra, when he was when they were going to cross the desert and go like from Persia back to Judah, they didn't want to ask the king for an armored guard or anything like that to go across. But so he calls a fast and he says, okay, we're all going to fast. We're going to seek the Lord and ask him to direct us or to, to guard us and protect us. And then he says, and God did. You know, if you're worried about your kids going to school or to college, maybe we should fast for them. You know, like, let's pray for protection, but maybe not even a protection of, like, a bubble, but maybe we need to pray strength for them, that they would stand up in this culture and take a stand for Jesus. You know, like, I'm praying, like, God, I don't want kids who are just protected from the world and naive. I actually want them to stand up and have power in this world, to be a life changer, right? Like, that's what we can pray. Why not start fasting for our kids? And not just protection, but boldness. You know, um, to express repentance, and that's, we're going to see that Nehemiah does this, but if you are struggling with something, man, get on your face before God and repent. Use fasting as part of that. He continues, like, humbling oneself before God. There's something beautiful when we just say, God, I don't, I don't know what to do. That's what Jehoshaphat said when he called a fast for the nation of Israel. He says, we're all going to fast because the Philistines are going to overrule us. They're going to overtake us. And so they fast, and I love his prayer because he says, God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. To humble ourselves through fasting. Say, God, I'm not almighty. I'm not all-knowing. I don't have all the wisdom, but you do. So, Lord, here I am. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. You know, um... To minister to others' needs. There's been numerous pastors and missionaries who have journaled and talked about how they've fasted and asked God to to bless their ministry and to bring more people to salvation. And even for myself, when I was gone for that one year of school, I couldn't be here with the students and I couldn't actually do ministry with them. And so what I did, I just, every Wednesday I fasted for them because that's all I could do at that point. And I knew that God would do something through those prayers and fasting, you know. We have different, different reasons. Who are you ministering to? Start fasting for them. Start fasting that God would would make a revival in your workplace, in your family, who knows, in your block, your street. Like, what does God want to do? Start fasting and see what God does. You know, overcome temptation. If you're struggling with something, start fasting, and there is breakthrough. You know, start fasting and say, God, I repent, and I want to go a different direction. Help me to go in a different direction. Look at Jesus, right? He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and he overcame temptation, right? Maybe maybe we need to learn from some of this. And lastly, one of the greatest ways and reasons why that we could actually fast is just to express love and worship to God, just to love him, just to humble ourselves. You read in Luke that Anna was in the temple for who knows how many, 50 years or something, and she was just fasting and worshiping God, she was just she just loved the intimacy of the Lord. When I look at all of those different reasons, and there's probably a lot more. That's just a, a list. I'd actually think maybe a lot of us, maybe all of us, have a reason that we could fast and pray. Once again, it's not about manipulating God. We can't. He's God. <laughs> We're his creatures, we're his his creation. But man, he loves to to draw us close. He loves to change us through fasting and through prayer. These are some of the reasons. You know, the point is that you don't have to be distraught. You don't have to be in this horrible time of grief or, or needing direction or anything. Literally, you can fast to just worship God and just draw draw close to him. We all have different relationships with God, and it, you know, I can't tell you what your relationship with God looks like. That's why I love how Jesus doesn't actually tell us for how long or when we're supposed to fast. He doesn't make it a religious thing to check the box on. He actually just says, hey, when you fast. So seek the Lord. What does that look like for you? Because all of us are different, and so, because all of us have different personalities and everything, we're created differently, we're all going to have a different relationship with God. So seek God and say, God, what do you want this fast to look like? Is it three days? Is it one meal? Is it one day? Is it just from, um, I don't know, social media? Or like, I, I don't know. Ask God. Because it's a relationship. It's not a religion checkbox thing. You know? It's seek God. Get to know him. Fall in love with who He is. He wants to draw you close. But maybe some of you are wondering, it's like, okay, I get the reasons why I should fast, but to pray for a day or three days really intimidates me. And I get that. Like, I don't think, like, most of us have to go to a job tomorrow. So, like, you still got to work, but but how should we pray? What does that look like in times of prayer and fasting? How can we actually pray? And I love how Nehemiah kind of gives us a beautiful outline of how to pray. And so in verse 5, let's just read a little bit of his prayer, and hopefully you'll get a, um, a sense of how we can start praying, not just through prayer and fasting, but going forward in our lives. It says, Oh Lord." God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. You know, I love how Nehemiah starts off his prayer because he starts by declaring who God is. You know, how many of us, actually, when we have a, a problem or an issue, we come to God or something horrible happens in our life, and we're like, why, God? You know, and we're just, like, super distraught, and, like, I'm not making fun of that, because I think, actually, that's a pretty legitimate response, but so many times we come and we ask, why, God, does this happen to me? Or, "Or, God, can you just fix this? Please, 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 please just do this. You're You're sovereign, and yes, he's sovereign, he's almighty, he's powerful, But I love how Nehemiah starts. He doesn't even start with the request. He actually doesn't get to the request till the very end. (laughs) But he starts with who God is. Because when we start with who God is and we start to declare who he is, all of a sudden it changes us and it helps uh, helps us see a different perspective. Because when I'm focusing on how great God is, he's the great and awesome God in heaven. He's faithful in his covenant and his love, and all of this stuff, he's magnificent, he's holy, he's all of these things, all of a sudden my test doesn't look too bad. You know, all of a sudden my financial issues don't look too bad in in comparison to God's great provision. All of a sudden my brokenness doesn't look so massive that God can't touch it with his comfort and his love. When we start to declare who God is, it starts to change who we are are and how we see things to remind us of who God is. You know, I think actually Jesus taught us to pray like that. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know, he starts off by saying, God, you are in heaven. You're sovereign. You're holy. You're set apart. You're other than us. You're sanctified. That's Jesus taught us to pray, and that's how we see Nehemiah praying. He doesn't just jump to the request or asking if God's worthy or why, how can God be a good God that he would let this happen to his people? He doesn't even go there. He just starts with God, you are great and awesome. You are the God in heaven. You are the God who keeps his covenant of love. He declares it before he even gets to any sort of request. Maybe that's how we could start, is just by declaring who he is. So after he declares who he is, Nehemiah starts to kind of make a little appeal, but it's not the actual request yet. It says, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer. Your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. You know, he he starts to make this appeal of, God, can you hear us? But it's not that Nehemiah is actually doubting if God hears Rather, what he's asking is, God, can you actually act on our behalf? Because Nehemiah is confident that God hears. He knows that God hears his prayer, and he's not concerned about that. And so he just says, Lord, can you hear and can you act on what we're doing? So he has this confidence to ask, confidence to pray and come before God. But how about us? You know, do we sometimes doubt, like, "Uh, I don't know if God really hears my prayers. I don't know if he's really there. It feels like I'm talking to a wall. How can we have confidence? Read through Hebrews. You know, it actually encourages us, come before the throne room of grace with boldness and confidence because you will find help and mercy in your time of need. And why can we come with boldness and confidence into the throne room where God is and make our request? Why can we do that? Because we have Jesus, who's the great high priest who went through the heavens, who made sacrifice. He sacrificed himself and sat down at the right hand of the Father. And he's actually interceding on our behalf. And so he says, come, come in and ask with boldness because I've already made provision. I've already paid the price. You don't have to try to be really good and for any of you who don't know jesus today who don't have a relationship with him i want to give you that opportunity today don't harden your hearts it says that in hebrews as well don't harden your hearts today is the day of salvation you know if you don't maybe you have never heard about jesus but maybe you're like man i i want to know what this is about I want hope. I want freedom. Because that's what we're saying about whom the Son sets free is free indeed. You know, if you want to be done with shame, done with guilt, done with condemnation, if you want to start a new life, if you want to be new, it's only through Jesus. And through saying, Jesus, I'm sorry. Forgive me of my sin and cleanse me. Come live with me and make me new. And he'll do it. He's faithful to do it. And I can tell you, is it, is it easy? No, sometimes it's hard, but it's awesome. It is so worth it to walk with Jesus. He has such good stuff for you because when you're walking through the hardships, there's hope. When you're walking through the, the dark times, God is walking with you. You know, even at the end of this life, there is hope because Jesus died and he rose again and he promises us you will rise with me you know that's what we have so can we have confidence to come before god of course he says come come boldly so i'd encourage us be confident that he hears come before god with with boldness and and bring your 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 prayers before him you know, he continues on, and actually the next part is pretty profound and convicting, I think, for our day and age, for our church in North America. Because it says this, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and the laws that you gave your servant Moses. The next part of his prayer is that he just repents. He says, God, I confess the sins. Of the nation, myself, my father's house. You know, he repents personally. And and I'd encourage us, you guys, if, if you're struggling with sin, repent. And repentance doesn't mean, oh, I'm sorry, and then do it again. Repentance means, I'm sorry, and turning a different direction, going a new way. You know, if, if these next three days of prayer and fasting, maybe the first day just needs to be repentance for you and turning a new direction setting a new life a new path in your life to go this way rather than that way to follow god rather than your own desires you know repent it's interesting because sometimes i think in in, we get confused with other religious ideologies where it's like okay well i'll fast because maybe that'll make up for the bad i'm doing here and it'll kind of cover it up that is not christianity we are saved by grace alone and only by the blood of Jesus. We can't be good enough to cover up our badness. Jesus takes care of our badness. We're saved by grace, but then we're empowered to actually say no to ungodliness, right? And so for us, you know, one of the, one of the guys that I was reading about fasting on, he says this, and I'm sorry, that's pretty small, but it says, not only can fasting express repentance, but it can also be in vain without repentance, As with all spiritual disciplines, fasting can be little more than a dead work if we have persistently hardened our hearts to God's call to deal with a specific sin in our lives. We must never try to immerse ourselves, ourselves in a spiritual discipline as an attempt to drown out God's voice about forsaking a sin. If God is speaking to you about something, deal with it. Be done with it. Confess it and move forward. Repent of it and set a new direction. And ask God to empower you to do that, to move forward in God's power and grace. You know Nehemiah; he starts personally, but then he also confesses for the nation, the sins of the nation. Sometimes it's hard to imagine what would like. How do you confess for the sins of the nation? Like, doesn't it? Isn't it actually hard to confess for things that you haven't done? And I'd encourage you start confessing the sins of our nation and see what God does in your heart. Because I'm pretty sure you'll start to feel a brokenness as if I was a part of that. I allowed this to happen. Start confessing the sins of Canada and see what God does in your heart for Canada. And how he breaks your heart and moves you in prayer and fasting for our nation. That's what Nehemiah does. It's as if he was part of the problem. That's how he confesses it. That God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I was a part of this. You know, to start with prayer, or in our fasting and prayer, declare who God is. Be confident that he hears you. Repent, and then pray the scriptures and his promises. As we keep reading, that's what we see. It says, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But... If you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place that I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. See, Nehemiah is not just praying praying randomly here. He's actually praying scripture back to God. Because he knows the scripture, he knows the covenant. And so uh, back in Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28, Deuteronomy 30, that's where the covenant between God and Israel was recorded. And this covenant it's actually uh, like you can compare it to other ancient vassal treaties and it lines up the same because when a nation would conquer another nation not that God conquered Israel it's a different thing but it's kind of cool because when a nation would conquer another nation they would become their vassals and they draw up this agreement this contract basically and say hey this is what you are required to do as our vassals and if you do them life will go well for you if you don't though There's no hope, and you will be decimated. There will be curses. And that's what we see in Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28, is that God says, if you obey me, I will be your God, and you will be my people. And there will be all of these blessings, but if you disobey me, there will be curses. And he spells it out to the T what happens in Jerusalem when finally they go into exile. And it's not that God is an angry God in the Old Testament. God literally gave them centuries to repent he would send prophets to say repent turn back to me stop your wicked ways turn back to me otherwise i've already told you what will happen now here's the interesting thing about the covenant between god and israel though it doesn't just stop where the other nations would stop see with god he makes provision and say even if all of these curses come upon you if you humble yourselves and you turn back to me, and you repent, and you confess, and you serve me with all your heart, then I will restore you. I will redeem you. I will draw you back from all the outer skirts of the earth, and I'll bring you back to Israel, and you will be my people, and I will be your God. And so Nehemiah, he knows the scriptures. He's not asking, why God did you decimate us? He says, no, I know why you decimated us, because we sinned. But Lord, now I'm asking that you would hold up your restoration promises and that you would bring your people back. You know, Pastor Paul, last week, he emphasized strongly that we need to be in this Bible. And I hope that a lot of you took up his challenge to read at least one chapter a day, every day. Because if we don't know what's in here, how can we pray scripture how can we pray god's will how can we cling to his promises how can we know that peace is available when i'm anxious how can we know that joy is available when i'm when i'm stretched and struggling and and feeling weak and powerless but he says the joy of the lord is my strength how can we pray those things if we don't know them we need to be in the scriptures to actually pray and claim those promises now fasting isn't this magical thing again it's not about manipulating god But man, when we come before God and we start to humble ourselves, we declare who he is, and and we are confident that he hears us, and we start to repent, and, and we pray his scriptures, man, then we can ask, and we can be confident in that asking, because the next part is when Nehemiah finally actually makes his request. And it's simple, and it's beautiful. And it says, at the end of verse 11, it says, Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. See, Nehemiah was going into a situation when he could potentially die. And he says, God, I'm going in. I need success from you. I know that you are sovereign. You can change this man's heart, and you can give me favor with him. And God does. And Nehemiah is able to go back to Judah and start rebuilding the wall, and it only takes like three months to rebuild this wall. You know, it's an incredible story and it's beautiful. You know, what are the requests that you need to make before God? I'm not saying that God's going to answer them the way that you want, just because you fasted. I'm not going to say that um, things are going to happen exactly how you desire them to happen. But what I can basically guarantee is that God will work. He'll draw you close. You will be changed. Your heart will be changed. And you'll have an intimacy with God. You'll have this focus and this... And and you might be scattered partially with prayer or fasting because sometimes you get tired when you're fasting. Literally, you'll get tired. But man, it's so cool to enter into something that God has actually ordained for us to bring focus and intensity to our prayers. And, And I don't know about you, but when I read scriptures, when I've watched and what I've experienced, it's like God does something through fasting i can't explain it i don't understand it i don't know how it works but what i do know is that god works when we fast you know it just just a brief like and this is long i'm sorry um but some outcomes of fasting you know moses fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and in that time he asked to see the lord's glory and he saw the glory of the lord he got the commandments and he came down and his face was shining you know, um, you think about Hannah, who who is distraught and distressed because she just wanted a baby. And she comes to the temple and the, Eli, the priest, thinks, are you drunk? And she says, I'm not drunk. I just want a baby. And he says, you're, you're going to have a little boy in the year, which was Samuel. And that was through fasting and prayer. You know, Samuel, who grows up then and becomes a prophet, priest in Israel, and he's leading Israel, and the Philistines are upon them, and they call a fast, and God delivers them miraculously. You know, Elijah fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He goes to the mountain of God, and he encounters God. God wasn't in the wind or the storm or the the rain or this or that. He was in the whisper. God encountered Elijah through his fasting You know, Jehoshaphat, once again, incredible victory and deliverance from from the Philistines. Daniel, you know, he fasted for 21 days, and finally he got an answer from God, from an angel. You know, Esther calls a fast for four days for the nation of Israel, and what happens, there's deliverance, there's wisdom, there's favor given to Esther. She could have died, you know, for such a time as this, though, she was there. At that time, Ezra, once again, safe passage. Jesus, he started his ministry after 40 days of fasting. Maybe if we fasted, maybe God would open up doors in our ministry, in our in our workplaces. Who knows what God will do? I don't know, but I read these things and I'm like, I want to be a part of it. I, I want to see what God's gonna do. I want to get closer to Jesus through fasting. You know, Paul, when he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, he was blinded. And for three days, he didn't eat or drink anything. And then when Ananias prayed for him, the scales fell off and he was anointed. And that was through fasting. You know, like, I don't know, when I read things, I realize God does something. I don't know what he's going to do in the next three days. But I can tell you this, I'm pumped about it. I'm pretty excited and I don't want to miss out. I, I don't want to be on the sideline. I know I can't fast, but like, I'll be here, you know. I'm excited to see what God's going to do. Because if anything, if, you, if nothing happens other than growing close to Jesus, isn't that the whole point of our lives? Is to fall more and more in love with Jesus. You know, what would happen if believers across this country prayed and fasted? What does, what does God say once again? I will turn from heaven and I will hear you and I will heal your land. What would it look like? So how about you? Are, are you hungry for it? Are you hungry for God over your stomach? You know, I, I as I said already, I've been praying that this would just whet your appetite to want more of God and see more of his power and his love and intimacy in your relationship with him. Through, through today and through these next three days, I pray that you would be excited about fasting. That's not something we usually like associate with fasting. And you know, one of my students, I love it because she's like, I used to dread going to fasting, but then I'd come and it'd actually be really good. So now I'm like, okay, I'll just, I I'm excited for fasting. I'm like, that's awesome. You're 14 years old. If a 14 year old is excited about fasting, maybe we can get excited about fasting. You know, like, I, man, I get excited. What is God going to do? So how about you? I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't want you to be guilted into this. If there's guilt, chuck that aside. That's not a part of it. If you're about manipulate, or if it feels like you want to manipulate God, it's not about that. It's really about growing close to Jesus. So if you wouldn't mind standing with me, we're going to close this morning. And I want to give an opportunity, you know, maybe there's some of you here who who don't know the Lord, who don't have a relationship with him, but I want to give you that opportunity today. If you want to start a relationship with Jesus, with every head bowed, I just encourage you, if you want to start a relationship with Jesus, to raise your hand. And I want to pray with you, if there's anybody here. Awesome. Amen. Amen. Those of you who raise your hands, I'm just going to pray a quick prayer. And if you want to follow me, um, and you can pray out loud or you can pray in your in your heart to God. God knows your words, and it's not about the specific words. It's about your heart. So just follow in this prayer, dear Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross. I ask that You would forgive me of my sin, that You would cleanse me, and that You would make me new. Thank You that You call me Your child. Come live with me, and help me to live for You. In Jesus' name, amen. For the rest of you, you know, a lot of times we come to church and it's like, well, oh, that was a great sermon, and then we leave and we don't do anything about it. and. I want to give us the opportunity to kind of put a stake in the ground or make a decision what we're going to do about fasting. Um, And this isn't to, you know, whatever, but just leave it before the Lord. Sometimes I think we need to make a decision before we leave these doors. So if you want to fast in one way or another, get before God this week, um, I'd encourage you to raise your hand and I want to pray for you guys. I want to pray that God would speak to us. So if you want to decide to fast this week, raise your hand. Let's go. Let's pray. Amen. I'm just, yeah, Jesus, we just pray your anointing and your power, Holy Spirit, to come and fall on us this week, that you would restore relationships, that you would do miracles in in physical bodies and minds and souls, Lord, that you would draw people to yourself this week, and Holy Spirit, that your people would stand up and stand for you, Lord, that as we bow our faces in fasting and prayer, that you would be exalted, and that your Holy Spirit would come, that your power would come, and that we would go out and power as your witnesses. Jesus, I pray that you would draw us close to you, that you would that you would put such a hunger in us for a relationship with you, a deeper, deeper, deeper relationship, that we would be overwhelmed by your goodness and your glory. Lord, we don't know what you're going to do this week, but our eyes are on you and we're excited. So Father, bless your people, go before them, and we just ask that you be glorified now in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in peace and we'll see you tomorrow night!